Hey, everybody. Bob Page welcoming you to not just another edition of No Filter Sports Podcast. This is a new edition with a new look on the show. As you regular listeners know, Eli isn't with us. Danny McLean sure as hell is, and so is our producer, Brandon McAfee, always at the boards. We have, um, have a lengthy mailbag coming up later in the show because so many of you have commented about what Eli said on the last program, essentially resigning from this program and from sports casting in one fell swoop. Well, I don't think I, he, I don't think he resigned. Uh, you know, he wants to take some time off. I mean, I've had a lot of, I hope you're right. I good. Yeah. You've been talking to him. Good. Yeah. And I believe that, uh, in, in a short order of time, and I'm not saying a week or two weeks or a month or two, he'll be back. Uh, Eli will be back. He will, this thing will start to eat his kneecaps. Uh, cause you can only play golf so many days a week. I mean, your, your wife is not going to let you play seven and he's doing so, the same thing. He, he, you know, yes. he says he complains about the workload, Denny, but yep. you know what he did over the weekend? I haven't spoken to him in the last couple yep. of days. You know, he, he watched the games just like we did. Good, just and, like and we he did. read the yeah. reports on, on, online, on the internet, just yeah. like we did. So yeah. maybe he had to do a little more preparation for the show, but I hope we, we all hope and believe he is our friend, long-term friend, and he founded this show. We all hope and believe that Eli is going to be back later on today. We're going to speak with Steve Mott, the former Alabama star about the big college football matchup for the national championship, his career in Detroit. And for those of you who don't know, or remember Steve, he was Bear Bryant's last captain at Alabama. So we'll get into that too. In the meantime, um, I, I was curious about an ESPN headline, Denny, on their website this morning. It said, Praetor's kick earns everyone in Detroit free beer. This is what it's come to. For a franchise that won all those world championships in the 1950s and hasn't had a sniff of a title since then? So Prater, Prater kicked a 59-yard field goal yeah. early this year. He had another long one Sunday, yeah. and the FLs lost the Minnesota Vikings, another meaningless final game of the year. So do you guys know, how are they going to distribute this free beer? I haven't seen a plan in the Detroit papers. What free beer? What is the free beer about? That's my point. It's that the, you get, it was, it, the, what kind of beer is this going to be? And Denny doesn't drink. I don't like uh, beer, and I never have. Brandon, what do you know about this? How, how are people going to get the free beer? I, I haven't seen anything on the distribution. I think that's on Bud Light. How I, much beer do you get? How much do you get to drink? I have no idea. I didn't even know that this was <laughs> any kind of promotion whatsoever, and I don't think you should be <laughs> celebrating with a beer well, can when, A, you have a history of DUIs, which has got, got you kicked out of Denver in the first place, and, B, you lost the freaking game. Well, let's let's talk a little bit deeper than that. You know, they they did this very well if they're going to really give away the beer because they waited for the season to end. <laughs> season so, always so ends. The season always ends early for them, doesn't it, Danny? <laughs> it does. But yeah. uh, they they're pretty smart about this. If there's a beer uh, promotion coming out. They've waited long enough to do it. So, you know, and the, 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 the feckless Detroit <laughs> media is always looking for anything positive to write about the FLs. So the Detroit news and the headline story on its sports page Saturday put in blazing headlines. Punter Jack Fox, a great success story as he closes in on Lions record. Now, since this story was behind the Detroit news paywall, I have no idea what that record is, nor do I particularly care. But we wish the young man well and hope he gets to perform since he's apparently so good for a real NFL team at some point in his career. Seidel and the Detroit Free Press Monday in headlines. Believe it or not, there are reasons for hope with the Lions. Just stop. 
Enough is enough. They got just stop with this stuff. Enough is enough. You know what? And I don't know how many folks heard this great soundbite with JJ Watt from a week ago when his Houston team lost its latest game. And that's a franchise that's had more success than Detroit has. But listen to what J.J. Watt said about his teammates, about what they should do, and think about how this applies to the members of the Detroit Lions and this pathetic franchise. We're professional athletes getting paid a whole lot of money. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of shit. And they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16, and we're at 4 and 11, and there's fans that watch this game, that show up to the stadium, that put in time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here. Because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're 4 and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. So that's how. There are people every week that still tweet you, that still come up to you and say, hey, we're still rooting for you. We're still behind you. They have no reason whatsoever to. We stink. But they care. And they still want to win. And they still want you to be great. That's why those people aren't getting paid. We're getting paid handsomely. That's who I feel the most bad for is our fans and the people who care so deeply in this city and the people who love it and who truly want it to be great. And it's not. And that sucks as a player to know that we're not giving them what they deserve. You go around the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan especially the lower peninsula, because I say the upper peninsula people have enough sense to be Packers fans. You look at all the people, Denny, <laughs> still wearing, look, Denny, all the people still wearing Lions jerseys oh, wherever yeah. you go. The people who still watch this team, I presume you watched uh, on Sunday. Sure did. Uh, I, I presume Brandon watched on Sunday. Sure. I didn't. They care so deeply about the Detroit Lions. And now here we go with the latest five-year rebuilding program. And what are they going to do about some of this stuff? Is Matthew Stafford going to be back? Marvin Jones had a big day Sunday. Great saying day. He's not going to be back. Yep. I mean, Prater's a great kicker. They're saying he says he wants to come back. Yep. I, it's just they just got a huge mess on their hands. As always, what are they going to do? What do you well, think they should do? I think uh, they got to spend some money and go out and get some players. I think that's number one. I think all of our clubs need to do that. But the Lions, it's been a problem for so long. You don't know where to start because if you take away your quarterback, who's a, a, a good player, no, no question about it, you take away a big part of the team if you get rid of him. Now, what are you going to trade for? I don't know. But I know one thing, if we don't do something about the offensive line, we're going to have the same thing for the next 40 years. And this has got to stop. Somebody has to come in and do the right thing in a professional manner. Let everybody try out for the team. Let's not give away anything anymore. Let's play. And I don't care what that takes, but somebody has to step up and put the rules in that they can play the game. And if they can't, like, like uh, he just said, Hey, stay home. Don't come in. Got to uh, get a general manager. 
uh, obviously, yeah. first, uh, with that extra layer of bureaucracy with Chris Spielman. I don't know how that's going to work out. Yeah. Sheila going to have the final say over this? That scares the you-know-what out of me. They've already apparently interviewed Marvin Lewis, the former Cincinnati head coach. Look, he's a good coach. He's also 62. And he hasn't won a Super Bowl. Is that going to excite people? Uh, Marshall, Michigan's Adam Gase, as expected, was fired by the Jets on Sunday. There's so many people they can't bring into Detroit. And anybody they do bring in immediately is going to be met by long-suffering Lions fans. Yeah, we'll see about this guy. What's this guy going to do? But you know what? If the Cleveland Clowns can make the playoffs after yeah. all these years, maybe at some point the Detroit Lions will, despite despite their ownership. So um, in the wake of Sunday's game, and believe me, I'm not Sunday's games. And believe me, I'm not crying about the New York Giants not making it. They didn't deserve to get in at six and 10. And I'm very happy that they're going home. Your beloved Chicago Bears got a big game coming up at New Orleans. We yes, got three they do. Games each day. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable, isn't it? Well, I, I, you know what? I'm envious of you because you got something to cheer about. I mean, I was yeah. ready to cheer about the Miami Dolphins living here in South Florida, as I do. They didn't make it. So now, I mean, if you don't have a rooting interest, if you're not a gambler, I'm kind of picking and choosing here coming up. Okay, what games do I really want to see? What games do I don't want to see? It's a hell of a lot of football, boys. Well, I think there's going to be some surprises, too, uh, with all this COVID, uh, guys getting hurt. And I mean, I, you, somebody help me here. I have never seen the NFL play so violently as I've watched the last six or seven or eight games. Their, their intensity is, it seems to me, like double and triple what it's always been. They've always played hard. I mean, it's a game of tackling. But I'm going to tell you, these kids are running full speed. I, the thing that really gets my attention is when they take off after catching the kickoff or a punt, and then they run like hell. I just can't believe they're doing 20 miles an hour and they're running into other human beings. And uh, we wonder why they get hurt, but this, boy, this, you, it's, it's different. This from an older guy who actually, and apparently has already forgotten Jack Tatum's hit on Daryl Stingley. Oh yeah. This from a guy from Chicago, Illinois, who watched his whole career and maybe has forgotten Dick Butkus. Do you yeah. remember watching Dick Butkus run the lions, LT Taylor into a brick wall off the field and into a brick wall at Soldier Field. I, I'll never forget seeing that. I don't think the game is any more violent than it's ever been. It's just the players today are much bigger. Now, we're going to have Steve Mott on, as I mentioned later on. He was a starting center in the NFL at 6'3", 255. Whole offensive lines now are averaging yeah. 325, 330 pounds. They're bigger and they're stronger. But is the game more violent? I don't think so. Brandon, what do you think? No, football's football. I think that you're supposed to hit. I think you're supposed to hit hard. I think when you sack the quarterback, you shouldn't automatically be getting roughing the passer penalties. I think it's absolutely just a bunch of crap. put a skirt on them. Some of the stuff that you see going on. Absolutely, that, that hit yesterday in the in the Lions game was just it just seemed rigged. The whole thing that that epitomized why everybody says Detroit versus everybody because the silly, stupid calls that we see that we saw a sack, we saw a good sack all of a sudden turn into a roughing the passer. It makes absolutely no sense. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If anything, they're trying to become softer. Look at the NHL. There's no fighting. Yeah. You know, everybody's just soft. Look at the NBA back in the 80s. Fists were flying. Look at it now. If you blow on somebody, it's, it's, a, it's a foul. It's just, well, I, don't the know. I, I, think it, I think it's the opposite, Denny. I think that people are getting softer. Maybe. 
Maybe. I, I, I don't know, but it certainly just looks more. They're faster. They're bigger. I mean, they run 20 miles an hour up and down the field. I mean, that two guys running at each other 20 miles an hour. That's that's impact. But Danny, they took away, you know, they, they took away a lot of that. They, they, they made changes to the kickoffs to make it so you can't get hurt. Uh, now, I understand what you mean, but that's just, uh, you know, the evolution of sports. That's that's kids. Excuse me. That's parents who are grooming their kids to be NFL players when yeah, they're born. Right. So you know the same thing. It's the it's the Tiger Woods thing where you get that dad, uh, yep. the the Marinovich. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the same thing at all because I think uh, that so many parents are not grooming their kids to be football players because of the violence inherent no, in the no, game. No, 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 no. I think, in fact, I know that so many parents are sending their kids, to, boys even, to play soccer instead. You have to ask yourself that. Yeah. You got a little daughter, I, Brandon. I disagree. If you had sons, would you want them to play football now, Denny? Would you want grandsons to play football, or would you move them into to other sports i would hope my boys would have played uh and they played football when they were in in uh, grammar school uh it was fun to watch them and they weren't hurting each other because they're you know they're still small they were only 10 11 12 years old so i never had that kind of relationship that i thought they were in any kind of a precarious position to get hurt uh, now when he went to high school denny when he went to high school and played uh, an end uh, that got a little bit more uh, than what I wanted to see. And uh, I bribed him. I bought him a car and I said, if you quit the football, I'll give you the car and the keys tomorrow. <laughs> what, you were Seriously? thinking of CTE yes, in the seventies? Huh? You were thinking of CTE in the seventies? No, not that he was getting whacked. I mean, Denny, Denny is today. He's six, three, six, four, probably 200 pounds, 195 pounds. Uh, back then he was like, if you gave him a bottle of ketchup when he was about 13, 14 years old and turned him sideways, he'd look like a thermometer. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> how skinny he was. He, you could barely see him. But yeah, Brandon, it's not CTE. It's little things like, you know, broken arms yeah, and bro broken arms. legs, you know, and stuff like that. Then he hurt his back. Then he, I'll never forget it. Then he hurt his back real bad one time and uh, took us uh, 30, 40 minutes to get him off the field. We eventually called an ambulance. Thank God uh, it wasn't any more serious than what it was. But today, here he is today, 50 years old. And he still has that back injury. Still, Is that, isn't that, that something? You yep. know, I I was smart enough to 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 be able to ascertain a couple of things when I played football at the little level I did. Number one, when someone hit me, really hurt. And number two, <laughs> if I hit someone, it still really still hurt. And as a matter of fact, as Charles Barkley would say many many years later, I'm man enough to admit that I'm not man enough to play football. <laughs> it is true. You know, there's uh, one other We want to get to, we still got a lot I more to, football to go here yeah, for. No, go ahead. I, what else? I want to add one thing. Yep. Yesterday at the end of the game, it was the worst call I've ever seen. Uh, roughing the quarterback, wasn't it? It is the worst call I think I've ever seen in the NFL. Well, that's saying a lot. Oh, man. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to exaggerate. Tell you, I, he barely touched him. Yeah. Well, you see a lot of that going on. They're trying to protect players. That's what it is. And quarterbacks are the lifeblood of the game. So they yeah. put all these they put all these rules in, and now you can you can barely touch them. And if you like football, and people do, this game is still number one. 
among spectators in the United States. Hey, folks, we want to say a big thank you to Hall Financial for being such a great supporter of this show and all the shows on Drew Lane's Red Shovel Network. We've been telling you for some time now that mortgage interest rates are currently in the twos, the twos. So you give them a call today and find out how much refinancing your mortgage could save you every single month when you write those checks or go online to pay. Just click the Hall Financial link on our website, nofiltersportspodcast.com. That'll get you started. Or you can call them at an easy to remember number, 248 308 5000. That's 248 308 5000. You'll find out how quick and easy the whole process is. And make sure you tell them that No Filter Sports Cut podcast with Eli Zarrett, Danny McLean, and Bob Page sent you. And we also want you to let Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies help you plan for future family obligations in your own retirement. He's got a terrific track record of success. Luke has decades of experience, and this will all enable him to create a custom solution uh, for you or your business. Call Luke. We'll give you the number momentarily. He'll set up a complimentary consultation. You'll talk with him. Then if you feel comfortable, let Luke do his thing. He's going to lay out a plan that fits your individual financial needs. He's knowledgeable. He's caring, ethical. He's Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth Strategies, 248-663-4748. And Luke's services are offered through Royal Alliance Associates. You're listening to the No Filter sports podcast. So I love this story from Fox Sports on Sunday. Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh has not yet signed a contract extension, but a resolution is expected soon, perhaps this week. Michigan and Harbaugh are are finalizing a new deal with an extension through 2026. There has, however, been growing optimism in recent days that a deal will be done. Well, by the time you folks hear this, as we record Monday morning, the deal may already be done. They say growing optimism on whose part? On the part of Ohio State fans, that's who. I mean, wouldn't they're going to sign Harbaugh through 2026? And they hope he'll beat Ohio State before the deal is up. I just, I really don't understand this. Um, I would have gone down at this point. Maybe they did talk to him. In the wake of the success, despite losing his bowl game, Luke Fickle has had at Cincinnati. What a candidate for the job. They once had another Ohio State assistant, ex-Ohio State assistant named Bo Schembechler, who became coach at Michigan. This guy knows everybody in the Midwest. He's a tremendous football coach. He's ready for a major program. And I I just um, I don't think this is going to be well-received by well, Michigan fans. Do you guys? Allow me to ask a question. If we've had all these coaches in here for many, many, many years, nobody's ever really won is I don't think it's the players. I don't know whose fault it is, but I suspect it's not the players fault that this ball club can't get it together, organize and play and win and be competitive. There's got to be another reason. It, it, well, they're, they're competitive, but the, at Michigan, that's not good enough. You saw what Texas did over but, the weekend. They fired the, a seven and three coach who went four and oh in right, his bowl games. Right. But they're competitive for a couple of quarters. They're not always competitive for four quarters. So they win a lot of games. They don't win enough games at Michigan. And that's why so many Michigan fans are so upset. They don't win any of the big games. still has been recruiting Tuplers. What's that? Exactly. They don't, Brandon. You're right. I didn't hear that, Brandon. They don't win any big games, Denny. Right. They never win one. Never. There's an answer there somewhere, and no one's ever got into it. And I don't know what it is. I mean, all I know is a football team travels and circles the quarterback. That's what it's all about, especially in college. Well, pros too, obviously. 
And uh, unless somebody can figure out something other than, you know, having 10 uh, Walter Paytons back there, I don't know what to tell you, because this is the biggest mystery in the history of Detroit sports. These guys can't win anytime, anywhere. Well, that's not that's not really it. The, the thing is, is why would Ward Manuel, why would any alum of Michigan want to bring back Jim Harbaugh for the next five years and give them that big an extension every single person every single huge wolverine fan that i know wants him out so i don't see is it just because he's rebuilt the brand uh who knows but i I think it's going to be a a pretty bad decision if it ends up coming into fruition and i I really wish that he would just take the jump back to the nfl yeah i i here's what i think happens in a lot of these cases brandon if ward manual you know, doesn't sign Harbaugh. If he fires him, he's pointing the finger at himself. He's saying, you know what, boy, I made a bad decision here. I really messed up. And these guys have such big egos, happens in pro sports all the time, that they're not willing to go, you know, fall on the sword in public. I think that could be part of it. But you ask yourself this about Ohio State. What was bigger? That huge resounding bowl victory they had over Clemson on Friday? Or the fact that Harbaugh is coming back for more punishment at the hands of the Buckeyes. So, and what's Dabo Sweeney thinking of? He said, you know, Ohio State only played, what, six games that they didn't belong. He said he ranked them 11th in his coach's poll vote. wonder how he oh feels about God. that now. wonder how he yeah. feels about that now. And, you know, you, you, look at, uh, you look at Trevor Lawrence and the game he had, and this guy's supposedly the best quarterback in the – in America. in America, he's what NFL scouts call a generational talent. You saw that game. Who had the better quarterback? And and not maybe just in that game either. Well, that's how true. about Ohio State? Yeah. How about Trey Sermon? What a great running back he had. I mean, it was close for a while, obviously, 14-14 at the end of the first quarter. But, you know, by halftime, what is 35-14? to 14, And this guy led them, Justin Fields, five straight touchdowns on five straight drives. There was also an awful call in that game. And again, it's the football violence thing targeting on Clemson's standout linebacker, James Skalski. That looked like a football play to me, and they threw out the leader of their defense. And I'm sitting there thinking, a former guest on this show, Mike Lucci, the Lions outstanding middle linebacker, Butkus, anybody you want who played back one. I'm sitting thinking, this is how they play the game now? Just looked like a tackle to me, and the poor kid's thrown out of the game. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence becoming the number one draft pick overall, going to Jacksonville, I guess. They've got to make a decision about this. And he had a tremendous record at Clemson, but that's not the SEC. That's the ACC. And I saw Justin Fields outplay him completely in this game. Again, it gets back to the quarterback. That's all I can tell you. And that's the way it's going to always be in this world of college football, except for one great big mother coming. One big mother's coming with a lot of money some sometime in the next year or two. And uh, then we'll really see who's driving the brand new Cadillacs and BMWs and Rolls Royce. How, how good is he compared to Mac Jones? So, so obviously on Friday, we also had – the Rose Bowl, Texas style. Yeah. What an abomination. We they don't need the Rose Bowl world? anymore. It's not the mother anymore. It's, I guess it's it gone. Isn't. Yeah. It is. It no. isn't. By the way, Sean McDonough did the play by play of that game. I'm sitting there watching this thinking, this kid Sean was McDonough? In, 
this kid was an intern for us at Enterprise Radio, the national network in Connecticut when I worked there in 1981. Yeah. And yeah. we also had, by the way, uh, Kevin Harlan was an intern on that staff back then. But, you know, you've got Bama, Bama versus Ohio State now for the national championship. Alabama came into that game against Notre Dame, and, and they were talking. You follow these points, President Denny, I don't. They were talking about the odds were big on Bama, and the gamblers kept pushing. They kept betting on Alabama. 11-0 coming into the game. You guys, they were averaging averaging 49.7 points per game. They're already dominating Notre Dame, which was 10 to 10 and one itself up seven and nothing. And all American running back. Najee Harris had that amazing hurdle of an Irish defender. I've never seen anything like that. In football. I haven't either. That was great. Part of a 52 yard run. The next play, Mac Jones hits Jaquiel uh, Billingsley all alone in the end zone. I mean, it's 14 nothing, and I'm thinking this game's over already. It's the talent level. You know, when Tua left Alabama, they brought in a five-star quarterback from California to replace him. They get almost anybody they want. Anybody but they Mac, want. But Mac Jones beat this kid out. He had been a backup and became a Heisman finalist himself this year. They got two and three high school All-Americans at every position, kind of the way folks remember Michigan used to be. So they went on and they defeated Notre Dame in what was a real uh, snoozer. Um, We'll we'll get into the game a little bit more with Steve Mott. He follows Bama closely. Uh, Initially, uh, I see, what is it, a seven, eight-point spread that Alabama's favored over Ohio State on Monday night? Yeah, something like that now, yeah. But you know what it was the other day with the uh, Ohio State game? It was, uh, or was it Clemson? One of them had a 20-point spread. 20-point spread. Ohio State gave 20 points. Gave 20 up. Think about that. A major college ranked in the top five was getting 20 points. How about some uh, how about some college bowl lowlights, boys, from the past week? How about the Cotton Bowl? Remember they used to play that on New Year's Day? Oh, yeah, now it's just part of the New Year's Day 6. Then why don't they play it on New Year's Day? And they actually had fans, 18,000 in Jerry yeah, World to see yeah. that one. Dusty Dvorak was doing the color commentary. He stands up and he looks in our eyes and he lies blatantly. We're so thrilled to be here. And Joe Tessitore, his play-by-play guy, immediately says, and he actually said this, it pays the bills, my friend. That's a direct quote. I'm sure the Bulls sponsors are real excited to hear Joe Tessitore express that type of enthusiasm from a play-by-play shill. Oklahoma playing Florida. Oklahoma scores first. Now we're watching Florida's great star quarterback, Kyle Trask. He's only thrown five interceptions all year. But he throws a quick pick six. It's already 14-0 Oklahoma. Then we're told Florida's top four receivers have all opted out of this bowl game, yep. leaving Trask naked out there. The poor kid goes on and throws a passel more interceptions. And Holly Roll on the sidelines, the intrepid hot chick reporter, though Holly's not that hot, says, quote, everybody understands Kyle's, Kyle Pitt's decision, one of the top stars for Florida who opted out. Then they had video of the student athlete himself seemed to struggle with the English language, wishing his teammates well. And Florida never was in it. They got bombed 55-20. What do you guys think of these athletes, the college level? And this was started by Christian McCaffrey, who go through the entire season, get to the biggest game of the year, tell their coaches and their fans and their teammates, see you, suckers, I'm out of here. They sign a contract to go to school, and, and most of them do tell the coaches and the school that they're going to be there for four years, knowing that, they're not going to be there for four years, especially if they're a standout guy. So 
everything that they do in writing today in the college ranks doesn't mean much anymore. In fact, it doesn't mean much anywhere anymore. I mean, you've got, what's his name? The, the great running back down in Dallas right now. He's, he's got his own little uh, strike going on because he's not going to play again until he gets a new contract. He just signed one for uh, almost a hundred million dollars. About so, whom are you speaking? Uh, as Z, I call him. Uh, Z, Ezekiel Elliott. He's talking. Somebody yeah, wearing Elliot, Dallas. Elliot, somebody. Elliot. Somebody was wearing his uniform in the Cowboys game I saw Sunday in their loss to the Giants. He played. He played. Bob, he did. To but, go he, back. but he's issued a statement to Mr. Jones. <laughs> the season's over, and he wants to sit down and get a new contract. Well, Bob, considering what you were talking about, I think the the, the biggest thing with the college students missing out on these bowl games. I just think of Jake Butt. Jake Butt, here he is. He's going to be a tight end. He's going to be in the NFL. He's going to make great money. He goes to his final bowl game, and he gets hurt, and it's pretty much ruined his entire NFL yeah, career. Yeah, never been the same. And he's yeah. lost a lot of yeah. money because of it. Now, if you are NFL-bound, which not every single college student athlete is NFL-bound, but if you are NFL-bound, I say skip it. Do not hurt yourself. Maybe I said to... get an insurance policy. Well, maybe, maybe get an insurance policy, but that insurance this, this policy. This was a big controversy to... with one of the LSU running backs from a couple of years ago. Go out and get an insurance policy, Brandon. Okay, fine. Then have them do that. But still, I don't blame anybody for skipping out on a meaningless do, bowl game. Do, do you see what happened in the Cheese It Bowl? Yes, folks, the Cheese It Bowl. Miami versus Oklahoma State, Tuesday from Orlando. And what play-by-play man Dave O'Brien breathlessly told us at the top was the only bowl between two ranked opponents outside the New Year's Six. That's how important these games are. So he throws it to his color man, Tim Hasselback. And there sits Hasselback at his Nashville home, not at the game, of course, in front of shelves. You think I'm kidding you about this? You see this? Of Cheez-It boxes behind him. They admitted (laughs) that even the Cowboys' All-American running back, Chuba Hubbard, had opted out of playing. But Tylen Wallace was going to play. Who? Well, this is the ninth-ranked NFL wide receiver prospect, they say. So this is this guy's, you know, he's, he's in the game, and all of a sudden you see him standing on the sidelines the second half. What's wrong? What, what's wrong with this guy? The sideline reporters hustled down. They said there's nothing wrong with him. This guy opted out of his He pulled himself game. out? Yes, oh. after he played the first half. After he played the first half. The two best defensive players also had opted out of the game for, for one of the teams. So, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about you, Denny. I was thinking about you. I was thinking about how great a high school pitcher you must have been in Chicago 100 years ago. I was thinking about how M- MLB scouts must have been at every one of your games. I don't know if you won a state championship, but you probably got to a city championship. Yeah, we and did. I'm think- and I'm thinking that right before the city championship game, because he's going to sign in the pros, he's going to make a lot of money, and he's going to someday be Denny McClain. I'm thinking Denny McClain goes to his coaches and his teammates, his parents, everybody else says, I'm not pitching. Oh. You, you're not pitching. You're not pitching. No, no, I don't want to hurt my arm because I got a chance to make money I in the pros. I don't think that's a very good example. Why not? Why well, isn't that the same thing? Well, Why not? number one, baseball is not a contact sport. You know, you're not going out there and jump kicking somebody or tackling That's, well, that's a good point. That's true. So I, 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 that's apples and oranges, if you ask me. Well, I don't think you got any time a pitcher throws a pitch, he can hurt his arm. And any, any time a guy goes out pitch. there, he can hurt himself and never yeah. pitch again. 
I mean, that, when I hurt my arm the first time uh, up in Minneapolis, the weather got real bad late in the game. It went from uh, 80 degrees, 82 degrees, down to uh, 60 in about 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes as one of those storms were coming through. And I'm out there in the wind with all the stuff flying everywhere all through the ballpark. Everybody else is looking for cover, and the pitcher is standing out there still trying to throw a fastball in this wind. And lo and behold, I heard it. I hurt my uh, shoulder for the first time. So, uh, and I didn't leave the game. I finished the inning. So. Now, I'm just saying, I, I just don't like it. I, I really yeah. don't. And, and if you're that worried about getting hurt, you shouldn't be playing football to begin with. And if you're that worried about blowing up, and I, I believe me, I understand that aspect of it. But if you're that worried about it, then to me, you know, you should take out an insurance policy. It, well, it, you know, there's a, there, there, the only problem with this insurance policy is expensive. The insurance policy, because of the nature of it, is very, very expensive. So yep. you can get the money to do it. If you're going to be as good a pro player as you think you yeah, are, right. you get the money to do it. They'll give you the money. Somehow, some way. Somebody's going to do that. No, because no, 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 not at all. Because then what you're going to do is you're going to have thousands of kids who think they're going to make the NFL. Sure. They're going to be trying to pull out these insurance but that will never happen that will never work the bottom line is people are going to go to bull games if they are passionate about it if they want to play but if they see themselves losing money in the future they will bail on it and i don't see any problem with that whatsoever i think if that's your issue i mean if you were that upset about it then perhaps there should just be a entry level league something that i think the xfl was trying to do where kids can come out of high school and they can go right to that that, that d league before they can choose to go to college and then from there maybe you can you know set different rules but I, no there's no way that you i can... think it's a loyalty issue brandon as i'm saying i think it's a moral issue brandon i really do a moral you, you issue? fight yeah you fight and sweat and bleed with your teammates all year long till you get to the big game the biggest game of all sometimes even a championship on on the line as we'll, we'll see this coming monday night a week from no, today no, 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 no. We when's the last this. time you saw somebody and you, in the and you national bail on your teammates who has ever bailed in the national championship game who has ever bailed Nobody. in the biggest game you're talking about these crap cheese it bowls yeah. that means nothing nobody bails nobody says all right i'm not playing in the national championship game because i might play in the nfl nobody yeah. does that and name listen, one the example then the only people that are watching that game are the people that have got people who uh go to both colleges those are the only people watching that game for the most part maybe a few gamblers but uh, not uh, not very many people are going to tune in to two stiff teams well, as far as the bowl games Brandon is talking about, you're making a good point, Brandon. Uh, Eli's been laughing here for some time about the Duke's Mayonnaise Bowl. I don't know if you watched that. It featured Larry, <laughs> Larry Sorens. There you go. You're laughing already. I love, yeah, I love the unless you're Unless you're a gambler, let's face it. That's why most of these games exist. People watch right. them because they got bets on them. But this was so fitting, the way this thing actually ended and not the game itself. It was Larry Sorensen's four and four Wake Forest team against the Wisconsin three and three powerhouse, which still beat up on Michigan this year. The aftermath of this snoozer won by the Badgers. Did you see the video? They take it in the Bay. <laughs> Brandon Zonig said, yeah, yeah. They take it in the Badgers locker room celebration, and it shows quarterback Graham Mertz dancing with yeah. the glass trophy from the Duke's <laughs> mayonnaise bowl in his hand, <laughs> and he accidentally <laughs> drops it on the floor, and it immediately shatters. This is minutes. <laughs> this is minutes after, you know, like, 
the Duke's Mayo Bowl tweets out that they have the greatest trophy in all of college sports, and they show a picture of the trophy, and then minutes later, it just crashes into a billion pieces. Well, they're lucky they didn't have Jim Campbell for an athletic director because he'd have charged them. Yeah, he would have charged them. He would have. Boy, I'd say he'd have been downstairs with a wallet making change for him. So, uh, as you've noticed, Eli isn't with us, gang. And as Danny said at the top of the show, seconded by me and by Brandon, we, we really hope he's going to come back. And we hope he we'll bring his sponsors back, too. We already miss Dr. Yeldo, Starlink and Mercury, Power Home Solar, and Feldman Auto. And we thank them a lot for their support all the time. The show's been around two years now. But as you may know, there is a way you can help Denny and me keep this thing going by donating to the show. It's a common way to raise revenue in podcasts everywhere now. In our case, just go to our website, nofiltersportspodcast.com, and you will see a donate button. You click on that, and only if, believe me, only if you can afford it, because times have been so tough on so many of you out there, just send whatever you can, whenever you can, if you want to. Eli is still going to be handling the financial aspects of this show. He's not gone forever, such as those financial aspects are. He'll get us the dough, and we will continue, and we will really appreciate it. You're listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. Almost uh, overshadowing the college playoffs. Of course, that massive brawl, which followed Mississippi State's win over Tulsa in the Armed Forces Bowl. In a video posted from Mississippi State's locker room, Malik Heath joked, joked about kicking that Tulsa player in the face mask, which you all have seen by now. And the one thing I'll say is our program, our guys, we're a team that's going to stand up for each other and we're going to battle is what Tulsa coach Greg Montgomery said later. We talk about faith, family, football, and family's going to take care of family. We're a team that's battled all year long. We battled again today. So, you know, and then Mike Leach, uh, who should have been embarrassed, went on and said basically, yeah, boys will be boys. Kirk Herbstreet has a lot of opinions about college football and went after Mike Leach, said he should be embarrassed. Quote from Herbstreet, Leach's post-game interview and what he said, hey, it's football, it's physical, it's going to happen. Are you kidding me, Mike? You should be embarrassed about your program and what it did, end quote from Kirk Herbstreet. To me, I'm looking at this thinking, looks like gang warfare, one turf protecting its turf against another turf, and of course, above all else, the student athletes will be student athletes, won't they? And her, and her wound up with uh, COVID-19. Herbie? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, these yes. days, I mean, he just sat, you know, in his home in Nashville uh, in exile, by the way, uh, after he was run out of Columbus by his own Ohio State fans because he told the truth about the program. The Big Ten or Big 14, as I like to call it. How good is Michigan basketball? They're certainly the best team in the Big 14. What a pair of ass kickings in the past week. First, they played a Maryland team that had gone 75 straight games without giving up as many as 80 points, and they beat them 84-73, behind 26 points and 11 boards from this freshman center sensation, Hunter Dickinson, who will not be back in Ann Arbor next year. He has no business playing college basketball right now. Then Sunday Why? night against... Why doesn't he have... He's too good! He's oh. too good. I mean, he was on the bench to start the season. They started Austin instead, and then he got hurt. And I said on the show at the time That's that they're not going to miss Austin Davis because this kid from the stretches we've seen just looks like he's tremendous, and they'll be better off when Austin's healthy again, bringing him off the bench. So after this game, Sunday night, they take on 19th-ranked Northwestern in Ann Arbor. That's the team that recently 
humiliated Michigan State, yeah. and UM just destroyed them. They could have named their score. They wound up winning handily 85-66. The big story the last few games for Michigan has been Franz Wagner. He got to such a slow start. If a center blocks five shots in a game, it happens. You're talking Will Chamberlain stuff, Kareem yeah. stuff. This guy's not a center. He's a forward. He blocked five shots against Northwestern in Sunday night's game. Wagner came out, you know, he came out, we were expecting so much out of him this year, and he just got off the block slowly, as I said. But he is really playing the way everybody thought he would. He is going to be a great NBA player probably after this season. Michigan hosts Minnesota now on Wednesday night, and they're a perfect 9-0. and and you, you, you watch these games when they list the records of the teams and their rankings next to them. Michigan was ranked, what, 17th, 16th in the country? How are you an 8-0 and o team and you're 16th or 17th in the country? They're one of like four undefeated major college programs in the nation. It's just because they haven't played anybody yet, but they will. I mean, they, when, they does, just, when does Michigan, Michigan State play? I haven't looked at the schedule. Probably, yeah, probably not soon enough for Michigan. And Tom Izzo would like to delay it as long as he possibly could. I thought Michigan. If I said Michigan State was better than Michigan here in the earlier part of this season, especially after they beat Duke, they've got so many people. Brandon, they don't play until February sixth. Oh boy, that's a long okay. time. That'll be wow. here pretty soon. As for Michigan State University, AFT folks, about effing time even though it was only against a four and six Nebraska team, a few guys, notably Aaron Henry, who had a career high 27 points, finally got their heads out of their butts and they played the way they should have been playing all season in an 84 77 win. Now, you know, uh, you, you watch these games, I'm sure, as I do, Tom grasping at straws out of frustration. He's changing his starting lineup every game. AJ Hogart, I thought, played pretty well uh, uh, against Nebraska. So now we have a big test Tuesday night in East Lansing against a very good Big East team in Rutgers which has a great player in Ron Harper's kid, Ron Jr. Oh, excuse me, what's that? Rutgers isn't in the Big East anymore. A New Jersey school is in the Big Ten. And Marquette in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. And Creighton in Omaha, Nebraska are in the Big East. What a joke. So much of college sports that way, huh, boys? Money, money, money. Proving they can Zoom from anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, um... I wanted to mention Fletcher Lawyer. He's the younger brother of Michigan State Guard and former Michigan Mr. Basketball Award-winning Foster Lawyer. He's averaging 24.9 points for Homestead, Indiana, which is 10-0 and ranked number four in the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association poll. Now, you know, this kid, he, Foster's too, too small, and I've said this all along. You know, he's a great kid. I think he'll be a great coach someday. He was a great player, but he he really is a Mac level player. But his brother is six feet five, and he is already committed to Purdue. Started his season on December 1st. He broke Homestead's single game school record with a 50 point outing last Tuesday and a win over Marion. So on Christmas, we all watched his ex MSU guard, Travis Trice's kid brother, Dimitrik, put up 29 for whom? Wisconsin, as the Badgers' grown men lineup beat Michigan State easily. How did he wind up in Wisconsin? Tom said later on he didn't know the kid was going to be this good. He didn't recruit him. We all make mistakes, Danny, but to have this happen too now with Foster Lawyer's 6'5 kid brother, 
<laughs> you would think that they know everything about him when, when he uses the bathroom, when he doesn't use the bathroom, when he combs his hair and what have you. But I will give you one little highlight. One of my favorite players of all time, Mr. Curry, had 62 points last night. I saw that Sunday night. Yeah. Not yeah. that he's not capable of that. Ooh. Yeah. And I, 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 I haven't been watching a lot of the NBA yet because the season yeah. just started. The, the times that I had seen Steph this year, a couple times, he just didn't look like the same guy. You know, Draymond's not playing. You know, uh, they've had so many uh, inch clays out, you know, for another season, two straight years, and, and, and KD is gone. Thinking to myself, maybe he's not into it. Well, maybe he is. We don't know. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, but Northern Illinois fired head coach Mark Montgomery Sunday after eight games. Off to one and Jeez. seven start, what and you all remember. On? You all remember Mark, who's Michigan State product, really good guard for Tom Izzo. He's from Inkster outside of Detroit, but he had just two winning seasons since he took over in 2011. And you think to yourself, coming back to Michigan State as an assistant coach to Tom Izzo, I would think he'd be the next guy he'd hire. Danny, how about this for a news report? Tom You've been around like town it. a long time. You've been around town a long time, and you remember this very well. What it was like over at Livernois and McNichols. Oh, yeah. News report, the Detroit Mercy men's basketball games against UIC on Friday and Saturday have been canceled. So the Horizon League announced last Wednesday, we would have talked about it last week, but we only did the one show. But they announced last Wednesday that the Titans paused all activities for a week to address, quote, the mental health and well-being of its student athletes. Then the quote from one of the administrators, the athletic director, Robert Vowles, Jr., after talking with head coach Mike Davis, we agreed that it would be best to take a brief pause from playing this weekend based upon the safety, wellness, and mental health of the men's basketball student athletes and blah, blah, blah. In other words, at one and seven, having been swept two games by an average Oakland University team the previous weekend, they wussed out, Denny. UIC was five and three, and the last time they played, had beaten Oakland two straight in a set. But what would you expect from a once-proud, once-great athletic program that featured the likes of Bob Callahan, Dave DeBusher, Spencer Haywood, Dick Vitale, John Long, Terry Tyler, etc., that would allow its name to be changed from the UAD, the University of Detroit, to Detroit Mercy? Yeah. You old-time Detroiters out there, and that's why I mentioned Denny in this, because you've been around town a long time, and Brandon, this is before your time. Were you with us? Were you with me and others of us, so many others of us, at Callahan Hall when UD basketball was exciting? It was an event. It was a happening. Was when fun. Al McGuire Al McGuire would bring Marquette in, Dean Smith would bring Carolina in, and so many other big games, big national teams. And now, what? Not even on the map. University of Detroit basketball hasn't even been on the map for a long time, and that's a shame. Well, you know, everything goes around, comes around, and sooner or later, something will come around. We'll put it back in place. I mean, there's so many crazy things going on with this year. Yeah, I think you just write everything off this year. Take take the good out of it if there is anything, and you know, try to ignore the bad and just move on. This hasn't been this year. UD basketball's been down for so long. Well, no, I'm so talking about in general the year itself. With, with, well, that's with all of the thing. all of the the damn stuff yeah. that's happened to everybody, and it seems yeah. like every time we do something good, we take two steps back. Yeah, I loved um, I, and I knew him very well. I loved Perry Watson, a longtime successful Detroit uh, high school basketball coach, and then of course went on to the UV. He was an assistant at Michigan too for for quite some time. Yeah, and it, Perry, it, Perry looked like 
he had it going pretty well there for a while, but the neighborhood, which was once so beautiful there. And I know this is inside Detroit stuff. And I apologize to you fans who aren't from Detroit and don't really know what I'm talking about, but the university district over there by six mile and Woodward, such a beautiful area, but boy, a crime moved in. A lot of parents didn't want their kids going to the UD anymore. And uh, it just, it hasn't been the same. And I, for one, would like to see it come back. That's all I'm trying to say. And it's a beautiful school. It really is. It really is a beautiful school run by Was. people. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned um, Steph Curry, and we kind of sideways got into the NBA. The Pistons finally managed to win. Yes, they did. They beat the Celtics. Yes, but they then did. they came back to Detroit and lost to Boston on Sunday. So you go back a few shows. And I took the Pistons to task for making a myriad of moves and signings. It just churned the roster after they'd banished one of the top defenders and shot blockers in the league, Andre Drummond, to Cleveland, which Brandon didn't mind because Brandon's not a big fan. Nope, get him out of here. Yep. (laughs) And then they let rising star Christian Wood get away somehow to Houston. So in our now it can be told department, quote, I lost my girlfriend that night, too. That's what Christian Wood said in an interview with The Ringer. So he says his girlfriend came with him to the draft. He dropped her off at the airport when the draft was over, and then he never saw her again because nobody selected him, and she dumped him. He was expected to be a late first-round pick. His stock tumbled. He eventually joined the Rockets for the summer of uh, 2015, the summer league. Then he signed with the 70. He's just a journeyman. He goes to China to play basketball. Did he later about yeah, go did, ahead. Did he ever get the girlfriend back? I know. I, I hope not. I hope he had too much <laughs> sense to take her back because he's a rich man now. So, Denny, this kid, this kid was even later waived by the Fujian Sturgeons. And he no, said, not quote, the Sturgeons. Yes, the Sturgeons. To get cut from a team in China because they tell me I wasn't good enough to play there. That really tested me. It was the breaking point, Woods said. So he bounces around, plays limited minutes in the NBA. Then he ekes out a role with the Pistons last season, averages 13 and six in 62 games. Then in the offseason, he signs for three years, $41 million. With oh, Houston. my God. And in two games so far this season, after two games, I haven't checked very lately, he averaged 27 points and eight rebounds. He says he still hasn't reached his goal. He's going to be an NBA all-star. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the Pistons, without Christian Wood, are off to a one and five start. Holy and how about that story, God. Denny? Did you ever million? <laughs> well, that's not that much money these days, for goodness. That's three years, forty-one million. That's almost chicken. <laughs> ch- that's chump change right now. I think Brandon's signaling me uh, that we have to say goodbye to our radio audience until forty-one million <laughs> chump change, pal. I wonder what Denny McLean would have got now at the age of twenty-five after a few of the seasons he had. Forty-one so look, again, <laughs> million. <laughs> we thanks for listening, people in Toledo. Don't forget, go to our website. Steve Mott's interview is coming up. You've been listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. Um, as an old-fashioned sexist as you are. Who, uh, okay, fine. All right, fine. Maybe I am too. What did you make of this? Becky Hammond making history last Wednesday, becoming the first woman to act as head coach during an NBA regular season. Oh, yeah, game? I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. San Antonio assistant coach. She filled in for the man who invented the game of basketball, Greg Popovich. You don't believe me? Just ask Pop who invented the game yeah, of basketball. Yeah. He was ejected in the first half of the Spurs' eventual loss to the Lakers. So now she's in her seventh season on the Spurs coaching staff. She's a six-time 
all-star in the WNBA with the New York Liberty and San Antonio Silver Stars. And you know what? Just because she's not a man and didn't play in the NBA, how come someone like Becky Hammond can't know just as much basketball as any man? If the players would listen to her and respect her, how come she couldn't be a great men's coach? What do you think? I, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I've always had a problem with the women in the locker room just because of the, the, the obvious. And, um, I remember when this first started, when the women were allowed into the clubhouse and what have you, it was very embarrassing for a lot of people. Uh, we had all kinds of problems and meetings with Jim Campbell all the time. And we didn't win an argument, by the way, you never win an argument with Jim Campbell. And, uh, it was, it was embarrassing for a long time. It, obviously everybody's got over it. Are you, are you alluding to nudity? What, what, what's embarrassing? The nudity. Yeah. The nudity. And, uh, and, and, and the fact that, and the fact that the players wives didn't like other women looking oh at their God. husband's naked bodies kidding? in the locker room, Brandon, Brandon, that's what it was like. I'm we had you. wars, wars at home. I mean, you can't be in that locker room and that woman's there. You got to have your clothes on. I can't take a shower with my clothes on for God's sakes. I can't take a shower with my uniform on, but, uh, you know, it took a long time to get over that. And what we made the tigers do. I forgot about this, but we made them to do. They went out and bought us all uh, shower uh, coats. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, bathrobes or whatever. Yeah, to wear bathrobes. The yeah, they yeah. went out and bought us a couple of bathrobes each, and that solved the problem for the most part. I, I was assigned. I had nothing to do with this. When I was at Channel 7 in Detroit yeah. in the late 70s, I had to go out, union stipulations with a cameraman and an audio person. The audio person assigned to me one day was a woman named Sue. She spelled it like the Indian tribe. Sue Decker. Real nice gal. I like Sue a lot. She was told she had to go in with us by union regulations for the locker room. I walk in with them to the Tigers locker room one day and that jerk which is what he was in those days, though I know he's improved, he's better, that jerk Kirk Gibson stands up and yells at the top of his lungs, all right, you guys, look out, there's a slit in the locker room. Oh, That's my actually God. what he said. And I looked at him and said, real nice, Gibby, real classy. But this is the kind of stuff that went on back then. So yeah. it's changing, uh, and it's going to change a lot more. And again, I, if, yeah. if men will listen why not a woman coach? I'm sure Becky Hammond is extremely well qualified for this job. Hey, you know, um, I saw another story that that brought you to my mind, Denny, the other the other day, and it's something I wanted to ask you about. It was this was the one where Terrell Owens levied that new accusation, and is what is I guess a 15 year feud with his former Eagles teammate Donovan McNabb. Yeah, uh, McNabb has denied the stories, but he says that McNabb was out drinking the night before their Super Bowl game against New England Patriots at the end of the 2004 season. And, of course, McNabb says, no, no way, and so on and so forth. So here's a teammate calling out an ex-teammate over alleged drinking and being drunk. And I started thinking of Ray Euler, the shortstop of the 68 Tigers. I started thinking of your manager, Mayo Smith. And I started thinking of the New York Yankees and especially, obviously, Mickey Mantle. Did yeah. you guys ever say anything to Ray Euler about, Ray, we need you. You're our shortstop. you got to lay off the sauce. I used to talk to him all the time because he did two things that I hated, drinking and the cigarette smoking. He used to smoke three packs a day. Jeez. And, and remember this, we're in the same room together because he wouldn't give us separate rooms. So we're in a small room with two single beds, uh, and uh, there's no way out is, is the way I looked at it all the time. So I stayed out of the room most of the time and hoped that he didn't come in too early. 
because then he'd smoke all night. And I'm going to tell you, he used to smoke a cigarette about every hour during the night. He would wake up at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and start puffing on another one. That's not going to hurt the ball club. Drinking is. It does. It does hurt the ball club because he doesn't sleep. He's up well, that's different. Yeah, right. He could, he could have been a better player than he was. All right. Now, you and Mantle had a good relationship. Yeah, Everybody good. knows the story about you're giving up the home run to him yeah. deliberately. Did you ever talk to any of the guys you knew on the Yankees and find out if they said anything to Mickey, who could have been a much better player than even he was without the alcohol abuse? And we might as well throw in Whitey Ford and Billy Martin in that category, too. Yeah. And did I say anything? Did you say yeah, the Yankees ever tell you, yeah, Mickey's hitting the sauce a little too heavy, man. I'm worried about this, and he's hurting the ball club. Uh, the only thing I ever heard was, well, I heard a lot of things, and half of it you can't believe. But um, uh, the one thing that I heard, and I heard this, I forget what year it was, but Mickey had this perch. He had a perch at the uh, uh, the hotel in Washington, D.C. I can't think of um, it's where, uh, whatever, go ahead. Yeah. Nixon, uh, had something to do with Watergate hotel. anyway, Watergate and, uh, lo and behold, <laughs> had something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I forgot. Mickey had a perch and he sat in that perch every time New York went into Washington, DC and he took his glasses with him and he would sit up there with his glasses and watch what was going on in the hotel rooms. It was crazy. It was nuts. And everybody you ran into with the Yankees would say, well, bring a pair of binoculars for Mickey. Mickey needs a better pair. Well, so, that's, you know, it's ongoing his joke. It was an ongoing story, this, but yeah. it's a true story. Yeah. All right. I want to get to some more of your memories here before we get in turn to Steve Mott and his memories about his time with the Detroit Lions and his Bear Bryant's last camp at, at Alabama. Yeah. The necrology first, a, a real shocker. Paul Westfall, only 70, such a great player. Yeah. I did not see this today where he had been diagnosed with brain cancer just in yeah. August this past year. Yeah. Died over the weekend, as did Floyd Little, the great Syracuse and Denver Broncos running back. At least great he was running back. 77. And um, as we close this segment of the show, we'll get to your mailbag too. And the mailbag's overflowing today with what's going on with Eli. Um, I want to bring this up. As you all know, it's just so stunning. We lost no fewer than seven members of the Baseball Hall of Fame in this dreadful year of 2020, which is now gone. I want to mention these guys because Denny McLean knew every single one of them, and he played with some as well, and he played against some others as well. So let's start with the first name on the list, which for all of us is the hero, all of us who are baby boomers from Michigan, the hero of our childhood years, Al Kaline. You know, there's not a whole lot you can say about Al other than he was a great player. He was a superstar. He treated everybody relatively well. And I'm talking about in the clubhouse. That's what I'm talking about. He did everything well. Uh, he threw well. He ran the bases well. He did everything well. So, um, and, you know, he was he, the one thing that a lot of people don't know. Al was really giving when a new guy would come to the ball club. Uh, he would say to the guy, you'd go up to him and, and remember this. Here you got a rookie coming in or a guy that's just been traded. And lo and behold, K-Line comes up to you and says, hey, is there anything I can help you with? And people are intimidated by that. And most guys would say, oh, no, I'm fine right now. I'm fine. He says, well, are you going to hit 300, 350? What are you going to hit? He says, well, I don't know, but I'm going to give you my best, Al. And uh, that's how he developed some relationships with the ball club. He was very good with the players. Eh? The best teammate you ever had? 
the best I ever had. Well, L was, was it L? Alan Freehand. Yeah. Alan Freehand. Yeah. And you all played against two great names uh, in the 1968 World Series, passed yeah. away last year. Bob Gibson, Lou Brock. Go ahead. Yeah. Bob was uh, still trying to win the 68 series a couple of years ago. Uh, Bob never <laughs> gotten over. He, he's never gotten over. He's still, it, still giving you way. grief about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I heard somebody in the back of the house last night. Apparently, it's the weather. And I said, I said, if that's Gibson back there in one of my bedrooms, I'm going to get him. So, uh, <laughs> he, uh, Bob was, was a guy you had to get to know because he was a negative type of guy. He didn't want to waste time. He didn't want to sit down and talk to the fans, uh, unless you spend enough money and certainly people spend a lot of money for his autograph. So, uh, but he was, he was, you know what, when a guy comes up to get an autograph from a Gibson uh, a Rose guys like, well, Rose is different. He's just terrific. But when Gibson would give an autograph, he may not smile, but if the guy had a child with him, he'd shake the kid's hand, take a picture with him. Oh, so that's interesting. He, he mm -hmm. went out of, he went out of his way for a lot of people. That's, that's really nice. Really what was did. Lou, what, what was Lou Brock like as a person? He was a priest. I'm going to tell you when you talk, I, class, I, this day, you'll be careful with that. Yeah. In this right day and too. age. Yeah, you know. you're right. Um, Listen, he was a great human being. That's all I can tell you. He had kindness for everybody. He didn't have any violence in his whole body. Uh, and he just loved being there. He loved playing Major League Baseball. And he just thought it was the cat's ass just being in the World Series. Because if he talked about it one more time, I was going to hit him with a K-55. <laughs> he kept telling everybody, what, what a great thrill. What a great thrill. What a great thrill. And was he out or safe? You say he was definitely out. I say I can't tell after all these oh, years. He was after all these years looking out. at the picture, I can't yeah. tell. Yeah, he was out. He was know. out by a good foot, foot and a half. No, he and, wasn't. All right, let's not go there. How about Joe Morgan? Tell us about him. Joe was a guy that would stand off. Now, if he was in Cincinnati with his fans, he was a different guy. He was 180 degrees from where he was as a visitor. So he had these two personalities. And with the Cincinnati club, he hugged everybody, shook everybody's hand. But when he was on the road, um, and I, and there, there is a decent uh, reason why he was this, what I'm going to tell you, he just didn't like the big crowds coming around and, you know, 20 people standing there trying to get an autograph because on the road, he figured if I sign one, I got to sign all 200. And so we had a real tough problem with that, but I didn't, I never saw him get out of control. But I just, you know, the stories come down and, and you hear mm -hmm. things going on and it's, uh, you know, he is, isn't going to be the first guy I'm going to invite to a card show. Tom Saver. Tom, same type of guy. Uh, I Tom, covered him and knew him in New York. I thought well, he was you a jerk. Him, I thought he was um, a jerk. Personally. He was tough. He was very, very tough. You know, and I think New York's got something to do with that. I'm not blaming New York for anything. But I think New York has got a lot to do with that. It, it, the attitudes permeate the city of New York. It seems to me like every time we go into New York, the first thing we'd hit, and, and I think you'll understand this, first thing we would hit, we'd hit 25 people in the lobby trying to get our autographs. Mm. We got our bags in our hands. We got our bag in a, you know, we're carrying that too. And here they're running up to you, grab, here, let me hold your suitcase. Let me hold to this. Let me hold that. But uh, you know, it was too tough in New York. They just, yeah. uh, it, on the other hand, here's, here's that out for 25 years. 
on the other hand, here's another New York name of a guy I also knew in New York, and he was a prince of a guy. And I'm talking who? about Whitey Whitey Ford. Who oh, passed the away. best, the best, the best, the best. Yeah, just Whitey was. was one of those yeah. guys. He just. Uh, All right. Well, I think we ran this thing. We got to get to a break. We're going to get to Steve Mott shortly. You talked about Phil Necro, uh, who also died last year, the final guy on our list. Wonderful what a terrific man. guy. You used to play cards with him and his brother Joe. So right now, let's get to and boy, we got a lot of comments. The mailbag. Want to remind you guys, first of all, that you can tweet us at MU2Denny or at Bob Page Sports. And as you know, I mean, we're always really good about getting your comments on because I think it's really important that we hear from you guys. We want to know what you think. Today, as you can imagine, though, cannot get to all your tweets and comments. There have been so many of them over Eli taking over um, or taking what Denny and I hope I should say will be a lengthy leave of absence it'll come back to us spots has been tremendous so i'm just going to read some of what you wrote to denny and to me chris d'alessandro will lead off with you who says maybe eli needs a few weeks off to relax take it easy play some golf etc then around march or april just in time for spring he returns to the show by that time millions more will be vaccinated and will be closer to the end of this pandemic right robbie silverman tweets from arizona some florida weather and great florida food is going to serve eli well in the meantime i'm confident bob will guide the ship smoothly d champ green says my bet is eli's coming back listening to the conversation i see a 70 year old man reflecting on the loss of his daughter with a dose of covid a dose of winter cold up there in Michigan where he still is maybe sports being all messed up. Eli will get his mojo back after he goes to Florida this winter. Please give Eli my best reflection is a part of aging. And I'm glad you guys are pushing on Bob, Ryan Fusen, Bob, I really hope you and Denny continue the show. Even without Eli, the shows have been great with Larry Sorensen and Fred human. I'm in your corner and thanks for the great shows you guys have done throughout this pandemic. Dave Hayes, I sure hope Eli's not gone for good. He's a gem in my tie to the 84 Tigers. So many memories and great insights. I hope Eli recharges over the winter and returns sometime later this year with a renewed hope. Hang on one second. Let me say something. Um, I don't want to treat this in a negative way. Um, he's not dying. I mean, he's not no. ill. He's not sick. And nope. I mean, he's our guy. I mean, he'll always be our guy. So yep. I just want everybody to know there's nothing going on here that you don't know that, that we don't know. Okay. Yeah. So I just want but to, Danny, you just, you, you listen and Brandon, I mean, it's just this outpouring of people. I mean, yeah, it's great. Terrific. Isn't it great to hear this stuff from all yes, you people? It is. We just, we, and again, I said this last show, I said this all the time, this show, doesn't exist without you guys listening out there. And we so appreciate your patronage and your loyalty. Tiger Mike 1975 says, I'm glad you're going to keep it going. It's pretty obvious Eli's heart is not in the show anymore. It's kind of strange to start something and then two years later, just give it up when it seems like your brand has really been growing. Todd Morse, please pass along best wishes with hopes for him to return if he chooses to Eli. But I am thrilled you and Danny McLean will keep on. Will you guys have Fred Human and Larry Sorensen on occasionally in his absence? Yes, Todd, we will. And he says, you guys are still the best in the business. I love this one from Clausen Bibbins, who's a huge fan of the show. He's a great writer, too. Especially during the brunt of COVID times, your podcast was an oasis in the dystopian wasteland of media. Eli, <laughs> Denny, and Bob, you gave us so many sports-related and fun things to look forward to instead of the death ticker 
and Korean baseball on ESPN. Bob, your strong takes are laced with enough self-deprecation to cushion the impact. As for Eli, his 45-year journey from a rock and roll radio revolutionary to a cannabis-infused curmudgeon has been a sight to behold. He is the raspy Andy Rooney of Detroit sports and a true legend. I thank Eli for his service to the No Filter Sports Podcast listener community, and I hope he can still contribute his raspy two cents on a regular basis, even though I disagree with most of what he says. Now, um, does anybody has anybody ever watched those Korean baseball games? No. Have you? <laughs> I, I haven't seen one complete inning. No, I Brandon. just I've just seen like the highlights because they, yeah. they tend to have a lot of great bat flips. Don't they though? <laughs> I, I do uh, in a little known fact about me, I'm a very, very serious crossword puzzle devotee. Uh and I and what I mean by that is the New York Times Sunday crossword is beneath yes, my dignity. It's a bitch. I, I won't do it. I won't do the Sundays. It's beneath my dignity. It's I do Fridays and Saturdays. Really They're tough. the toughest. I had that the other day in a Saturday New York Times crossword puzzle. Bat flips. Took me just a couple minutes to get it, but I did manage to figure it out. <laughs> Bat flips. Ron says, that's all he goes by, Ron. Bob, I sure hope you, Denny, Brandon, Fred, and Larry, keep up with the show with Eli off. Everybody can burn out for a bit. I really enjoy all you guys on the show, and I can't wait for Mrs. Ford to weigh in on the new regime. Well, Ron, I hate to disappoint you, but when she retired and stepped away from the FLs, there went my Mrs. Ford imitation. You haven't heard it, have you? It bummed me out. And now that I think about it, perhaps that was one of the things that bummed Eli into his angst as well. Don't forget our website submissions. You can reach us at nofiltersportspodcast.com or you can email us asknofilter at gmail.com and feel free to email Eli personally. I will read it on the air if it's good enough. Mark Maluski writes, I blame the Illiches, the Fords, and Tom Gores for burning Eli out. If they would do something <laughs> to win some games and generate some excitement, Eli wouldn't have to sit around just reading Sports Illustrated from the 1960s all the time. <laughs> I love your show and the chemistry among the three of you. It, along with the other shows on the Red Shovel Network, have helped me through the pandemic. But the three of you guys make me laugh out loud the most. That's Eli, nice. enjoy your vacation, and I look forward to hearing you after the Super Bowl. Danny and Bob, stay safe. Chris Fitzpatrick, way out in San Luis Obispo, California. He's written us before. Been with you guys from the start, and I sure didn't like hearing the news that Eli's taking a break, which may leave the show's future in doubt. I'm hoping you figure out a way to keep it going with Larry and Fred filling in. Are you listening, Drew and Brandon? Your show is the perfect blend of the glory days of the past and the hopefulness, hopelessness also of the state of Michigan sports present. My 81 year old father in Muskegon does not listen to podcasts, but he listens when I send him the web link to your shows so he can stay connected for everybody's sake. I hope you all keep the showing. We're going to try, Chris. We're, We're going, going to. Try. to. Yes, we are. Carl Thulin says, Bob, I'm seriously concerned over Eli's mental health. I've listened to each and every podcast you guys have ever done. And I've never been so upset listening to the last podcast. I hope you can watch over Eli in the next few months. We cannot afford to lose a jewel such as he. Carl, he's fine. He's, he's okay. Honest he's to God, he's, he's, he's having yeah. a, a good time right now. He's resting. He's, and I don't mean resting like he has to rest. I'm just telling you, he just pulled away a little bit to recover a little bit. The batteries need charging. We all need our batteries recharged once yep. in a while. And uh, he did it at this point. So, but there's nothing wrong, nothing at all. And I'll tell you what, Carl, uh, for those of you who've expressed this sentiment, you know, Eli, I presume he's listening or is going to listen. He really appreciates your concern, but he's, yeah, he's gonna he be does. Fine. He's going to yeah. be fine. Do we have a bigger fan than Al Kopech? 
God, he writes this every week. He says, I can't say that I'm surprised that Eli wants to either take a little time off or call it quits altogether. He came across sometimes as cantankerous during the show. But yeah. when the interview came about, it was like he was a different person. All yeah. of a sudden, Eli was more upbeat and more engaged, a part of the show he really enjoyed. I have always had the philosophy that when a job becomes a real job, it's time to sit back and say, why am I still doing this? It sounds like the fun went out of it. For Eli, I wish him nothing but the best as he takes time down in sunny Florida, reassesses what his next steps might be. He has had an amazing career in broadcasting. And Bob, I think you said it during one of the last shows that it is a travesty that Eli Zarrett is not in the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame. And finally, you guys can call us, uh, text us, leave a message. The number again is 760-89-BALLS. This from Kevin H. Tears came to my eyes this morning hearing Eli at the end of your show sign off. A little awkward because I was at work at the time. <laughs> Danny, if you got nothing else to add, let's get to our guest. Let's get to our guest, ladies and gentlemen. Walter Stephen Steve Mott III was born March 24th, 1961 in New Orleans, Louisiana, selected by the Lions in the fifth round of the 1983 NFL draft. He played his college football, you all know this, at Alabama. And you may not know, but Steve is actually Bear Bryant's last captain from 1983 to 1988. He essentially was the Lions starting center. And in 2019, when they named the greatest players in 100 years of Alabama football, and that is saying something, Steve Mott was named the second team center. No sin in that behind only the great pro football hall of fame center of the Dolphins, Dwight Stevenson, right. Alabama versus Ohio state. Steve, I'm not going to insult your intelligence by asking you who's going to win. Why do you think Alabama is going to win? Welcome to the show. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, I, you know, I don't make predictions like that. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's Saban calls that rat poison. But, um, you know, I, I think I was really impressed with Ohio State last week. Um, I thought they played a great game. Um, Alabama <clears throat> certainly has a lot of, of weapons on offense and and his defenses, their defense has been continuing to get better. But I think it's just going to come down to um, it's really a coach's game, I think, at this point. I mean, you know, each side, um, whatever coaching staff prepares their players um, with the best scheme and, and has them the most prepared to execute when they get out on the field, um, that's going to be the team that wins. And, and I, I, it's a really um, – it's a toss-up for me right now. Steve, is it me or is the game much faster now than it's been the last – He said more violent. Earlier on the show, Denny said it was and, more and, violent. And I too. was going to get to that. And I think the games are more violent. These guys are running 20, 25 miles an hour up and down the field. You know, I, I don't think it's more violent because they, they try to control that a lot and, and, and everybody plays a lot higher. Um, offensive linemen are not trying to get push off the ball. It's more of a lateral game. Oh. Um, but I do think it's a much faster game. Um, I mean, it's, you know, a play is just, if, I, I guess if you could time the average play today versus uh, years ago, I think it, it, it would be a fraction of, of what it used to be. So I don't know about the violence. I mean, I, I saw um, – uh, Y'all all remember Fantetti. I saw Fantetti hit um, um, Peyton on the sidelines a, a few times, and, and um, my teeth are still rattling. So <laughs> I, I don't know if it's any, any more violent. And Fantetti, the former Lions linebacker. So I, I, if you had a nickel, Steve, you'd be richer than you already are. Listen, I'm looking at you here on Zoom. It looks like, yeah, real nice place down there near Tuscaloosa these days. But you'd be even richer than you are if you had a dime for every time anybody ever said, so, Steve, what was it like to play for Bear Bryant? 
<laughs> yeah, I would. Um, it, it was a great experience, very unique experience. Um, he, he had the ability to really um, control the whole team's emotions. I think that was the, the best thing he did. And, and he does a lot of things like Saban does. Uh, I, can, I don't think you can compare them because of the, the change in technology over the years. But but I think they were all very good at um, framing the the mental aspect of the game um, with their players. I mean, their, their players were going out in the field. They knew they had to execute. They knew they had to do their job. Uh, Coach Saban calls it a process. You know, um, Coach Bryant really didn't have a name for it, but it was basically the same thing. It was just getting your players on uh, the right mindset. Um, you know, not over emotional, but definitely motivated. Well, I think we've all seen the movie, The Junction Boys, about the horrors of playing for Bear Bryant when he was head coach at Texas A&M and how he took those guys into the heat of the Texas summer and nearly destroyed them physically. At that stage of his life, he was older, presumably more mellow. Was he that way with you guys? You know, he was a tough coach. Um, I don't know how accurate some of that in that movie was. My offensive line coach was one of the Junction Boys. Deep Al, and um, he brought a lot of that to to practices with our offensive line every day. But but uh, he was definitely it was it was uh, it was not a democracy. I can tell you that. I mean, it was Coach <laughs> Bryant's way or the highway, and um, and he demanded uh, that you you play as hard as you can play and practice as hard as you can practice. And you know, if you were willing to do that, you you got to play. If you weren't, then you probably were going to be gone sooner or later. Was there ever a coach that was not the general? I mean, they're they're coming in there to work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think they're all, all successful coaches or, or have that trait. I agree with that. I think most of us as players do too, don't we? If you're going to play very long, I think you do. <clears throat> you know, yeah. they, they they know how to separate the men from the boys in a hurry. In a hurry, yeah. Did did uh, the bear go out and do a lot of recruiting? Um, I think he did in his younger days. Not not so much when when I was coming along. Um, yeah. Um, we had a position coach, you know, at that time, um, you had a coach responsible for a certain area. I'm sure it's still like that, but they actually had to travel down to one of your games, uh, and watch you play. And, and usually they would come to more than one game, um, probably often not knowing a whole lot about who you were playing against. So it's probably hard to evaluate you. Um, whereas now, <clears throat> you know, they can recruit Southern California as easy as they can recruit South Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they know everything about every player on the field. So it's a lot, they have a lot more information to evaluate players with. And I think that makes a big difference. When you were um, being recruited, let's go back to 78. Now that's only 15 years after all the video that everyone has seen of George Wallace standing at the doors of the university of Alabama in a vain attempt to halt the enrollment of the first black students at that university. What's the racial climate like for you in high school back then? Had you ever been around black kids your own age? And what was it like, you know, going to Bama and being a witness to history as such? I, you know, certainly, I, I grew up in New Orleans, which is a big town. And, um, you know, we always had black and white players on the team. Um, I think that's the unique thing about football is that um, I don't think there's is that as much racial divide on a team, on a football team in a locker room. I, I never felt like, um, there was any kind of mm-hmm. animosity between black players and white players. Um, uh, you know, we had a, a lot of great players, um, uh, both black and white, and, and we didn't we didn't associate them one way or the other based on you know what color the guy was. It's just like in pro football, I man. It's just you're either you're either Honolulu blue or you're the other guy. <laughs> that's and, right. Uh, you're you're counting on the guy that's playing next to you 
he can be green. Um, but if he if he, if he's going to run a good block with you, you know, you love him. And that's just kind of the way I think football really breaks down a lot of those barriers. And, and um, it, 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 that's why it always is a little surprising to me that, that, you know, some of the things you hear about. In all the years I played, with the exception of one guy, we only had trouble with one player in all the years that I played uh, and uh, a, a black guy. A pretty prominent guy too at one time, but bottom line is you're running around with no clothes on and what have you breaks it down pretty quick. <laughs> well, yeah. And everybody's, you know, everybody's working hard. Everybody has to run the same number of sprints. You, you, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're mate blocking with a guy, the left guard, or the right guard next to you, you know, all that's out the window. I mean, it's just, he's your teammate and, and you're going to do anything to do, you know, you can do to help him out and, and it's vice versa. And, and it really, and you're living with each other. I mean, you're living with each yeah. other on the road. You're in the dorms. I mean, it's it just, you know, um, there's no room for that. Really, any room for it. Yeah, you know what, Steve? That, that's why my two favorite things and Denny McLean's two favorite things in life, because we're both cut from the same mold, are sports and music. Because if you're in either of those fields, you're around all kinds of your fellow human beings. And you get to know them, and that breaks down barriers. I agree with you. Except for country music, I guess, which is I mean, except for Charlie Pride, the late Charlie Pride, people like that. Yeah. But anyway, so 79, <laughs> you guys go 11 and 0, and then you get a bid to the Sugar Bowl to take on sixth ranked Arkansas. You win that game, you win the national championship, you go 12 and 0, outstanding player, Major Ogilvy. What kind of feeling is, is that for a kid your age to win a national championship on a huge stage? <laughs> well, obviously, it was, it was uh, awesome. I, you know, I, I loved it. Uh, I loved playing for Alabama. Um, it just, it, it kind of stood for the kind of football that I, I believed in. And, and, um, I still see major, he, he lives here in Birmingham. He's a great guy. And, um, was certainly a great player for us. You're close to the program too, aren't you? You know, Saban pretty well. And, uh, what's he like? And now, you know, I've, I've met coach Saban a few times, um, at, at some of the, uh, they'll have like a past player event and, you know, he comes through and, and speaks to us, um, don't have a personal relationship with him. Um, you know, I does besides his wife, maybe. Right, right. Well, you know, I'll go out to practice typically once or twice a year when we can, couldn't do it this year. Um, Mm -hmm. but I enjoy going out to practice and, and, uh, of course I follow him, um, like everybody else that does in the state or at least half the state, uh, religiously, um, (laughs) religiously, huh? Right. Oh, it's a different, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, you know, football in the Southeast. Oh Yeah. Religion. Nothing, nothing bigger. Yeah. You know, so in 1983, National Football League teams make a mistake. They let you go to the fifth round. Here's a guy who had a hell of an NFL career, starting center and a very good one for a long time. You come to Detroit. Monty Clark, who was a hell of an offensive lineman himself, is your head coach. You go nine and seven. You win the NFC Central. The Lions making the playoffs. You did where you lost to the 49ers and Steve Mott's thinking at that time, boy, this pro football's fun. This is easy stuff. Little did you know. Well, yeah. And, um, Monty was a great guy. And of course, Fred Hoagland was our, um, offensive yeah. line coach. He played mm-hmm. center for about 12 years in the league. Yeah, so it, the it Browns, was, other teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a very, very great situation for me being a rookie center and having a, a guy that had retired not long before um, I got there really and, and, and was coaching because he he could work with me on technique and different ideas and things to do. Um, I'm not real fond of the San Francisco game. Number one, we lost. Um, and number two, <laughs> I had a really, really bad knee injury um, in the second quarter of that game. So um, 
would kind of like to rerun maybe and avoid that play, but you know, how it goes. Are you, um, how are you handling the pandemic? I mean, this has been terrible, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's, um, <clears throat> it's, you know, I, you know, I used to watch, um, you'd see video or something on the news of, um, a street in China and everybody had masks on and I was like, right. man, why are all these people wearing masks? You know, and here we are, uh, you can't go anywhere without a mask. So right. it just depends on where you are, uh, in the state. Yeah. Um, uh, and certainly in Birmingham, Hoover, those kind of areas, everybody's got their masks on. Um, if I get into a smaller town, I'll go all day without seeing anybody wearing a mask. You know, it really? just really depends on where you are yeah. in the state, but certainly less population. So, you know, yeah. Well, after your rookie season, uh, it all it all went to hell after that. Four uh, eleven and one. Amos Fowler even had to start for you one year because of your injuries. Then Monty gets fired. Daryl Rogers comes in. You go seven and nine. We've had a lot of your former teammates uh, on this show, and nobody has a lot good to say about Daryl Rogers. What did you think about him? Well, Daryl was coming from uh, from a college setting. You know, I, I think he was. Um, he was definitely devoted to the team. I, I don't think he was, was, you know, giving anything but his, his best. And he, um, you know, I, I hired some pretty good on his you know, people on his staff. I, I like Bill Muir was our offensive line coach. I thought he was great. Uh, he brought in Wayne Fonts. Um, so, you know, we had some great, great coaches on that staff and, and, uh, for whatever reason, just didn't put together, you know, the right kind of seasons. Um, um, you know, I hated, I really hated to see Monty go when he left. I thought that, you know, he had um, himself and Ted Marchabroda and Eddie Kayat and just some fantastic. Um, Raymond Barry was on that staff too, right, wasn't he? Right, One of the greatest right. who ever lived. Right. So, um, you know, I, I hated, I, I thought we were really close. And I, I think if Monty could have stuck around a little longer, I think we might have put yeah. together some pretty good seasons. Well, they finally fire Rogers and Wayne Fonts coaches part of what I guess was the last year for you. Then Kevin Glover replaced you the next year. People wanted to, you had a neck injury. Was that the final blow that caused you to quit pro football too soon after just six years? And how do you feel now? Um, yeah, it was the, that was kind of the, the, the final injury. I, it was a cumulative thing. So um, usually it wouldn't start bothering me till the end of the season. Um, and it would, my arm would go numb, but it would go so numb that I would literally tuck my hand in the front of my pants because my arm would just be flailing around. Oh, you know, I didn't have any control over it. So I'm sure that made the nose tackle really nervous when I came running up the line of scrimmage <laughs> with my hand on my so. pants. But but um, yeah, anyway, uh, my, my final year, uh, the first day we hit um, in, in camp, it, it, it zinged me, you know, and I, I was completely numb and so they did, um, they did some tests and, and, and I met with the, uh, the neurologist and uh, the neurologist just said, look, he goes, you know, back then they didn't have any kind of um, uh, nerve tubes or direct connect. It wasn't like it is today. So right. basically my nerve would have had to start growing from, you know, somewhere in my neck where it came out of the foramen all the way back down to the end of my hand. And, and um, that would have been a long process. So um, I know the, one of the last things I, I asked that they did a foraminotomy. They went in and opened up the, the hole. <laughs> the stuff you guys body. go through as football yeah. players. <clears throat> well, so anyway, I asked the, the neurosurgeon, I said, you know, uh, can I, can I keep playing football? And he said, well, as long as you don't hit with your head. And um, of course, you know, he obviously hadn't uh, been introduced to Mr. Singletary or anybody like that. So um, I knew that wasn't going to be an option. Uh, and, and, you know, at that point you just kind of got to weigh your options and yeah. um, you know, 
And are you okay now, or, or you still have aches and pains? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody that played has aches and pains. But, um, you know, for the most part, um, I'm, I'm fairly healthy. I don't go jog, um, and, and I don't lift uh, really heavy anymore because of, you know, neck and shoulder injuries and things like that. But on a daily basis, you know, I, I have a little bit of weakness still in my left side, but but nothing that affects my, you know, mm-hmm. daily course of life. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad before to hear anybody, that. Before anybody guesses, uh, I don't jog either. Uh, so uh, <laughs> well, we, we've taken that off. Our, you mentioned two of my favorite people in the world, Raymond Berry, who I've done a bunch of shows with, uh, card shows, and Wayne Fonts. Uh, tell us what your relationship was with Wayne, because we love him. We had him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I love Wayne Fonts. He, he was a great coach, great players coach. I thought they did the right thing uh, having him, you know, follow uh, Daryl. Um, he was just, a, like I said, just a great players coach. I mean, he, he, he you know, was fun at practice, fun at games, fun on the road trips, but, but it was business. But it was, okay. it was, he made the game fun, you know, mm. really did. He was really a pro good. coach. Yeah. Steve, I mentioned that you you still live down there uh, in the Tuscaloosa area. I think all the fans listening would like to know what your life has been like since football came to an end. Tell us what you've done for a living and tell us about your family, too. Um, I've done a number of things, usually in sales. Um, uh, right now, I've left my last sales job and I'm um, <clears throat> forming a joint venture with some partners of mine. And we're going to set up some some new manufacturing down here in the Gulf South. I can't really uh, talk about it right now because we're under some non-disclosure agreements, but but an exciting project that I'm working on now. Um, my wife, Judy, is here at home with me today. Um, we've been married for eight years and together for probably twice that or definitely twice that. And um, I have a one daughter, uh, that Taylor, that's about to turn 23. She just did graduate from the University of Alabama. So I'm very proud of her for that. <laughs> and um, and works at Bryant Bank, as a matter of fact, which is uh, Paul Bryant Jr.'s bank, mm-hmm. uh, Coach Bryant's oh. son. Oh, and, and, and I'm sure you must have the NFL uh, package on Sundays so you can watch every Detroit Lions game right in your own home, right? I'm you kidding. Know, I do, not. do you still uh, follow the Lions? <laughs> no, I love to follow. Anytime I can catch them on the television, I do it. Um, I, where we live, <clears throat> we kind of live way out uh, in the boonies, so to speak. We live down on the on a river um, outside of Helena, Alabama. And um, so high-speed internet's not an option for me, so I can't stream things like that. I, I just have to take whatever the, um, you know, the local uh, markets have on or ESPN has on, on for that day. And it's usually Atlanta or the Saints in this part of the country. So yeah. uh, unless they're playing the Falcons or, or the Saints, I usually don't get to see them. Yeah, let me ask you the big question of the day. What the hell is wrong with the Lions? Why can't they win? I <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. You know, I mean, they, they certainly have some great players. Um, they have. You know, it's just. Uh, you can't blame Russ Thomas anymore. He's gone. Bill Ford's gone. I mean, it's just the Ford family maintaining the, the, the team. Right. You know, I got to get up there for the first time um, in the 2019 reunion was the first time I'd been back. It had been 30 years. And and I just want to say the Lions did a fantastic job, though, Um with the, with their alumni guys. I mean, they just made us feel like mm-hmm. we were um, yeah. still a special part of the team. You know, Brand, um, Brandon Scott, who's uh, Freddie Scott's son, runs that that whole program, and, and he yeah. does a, a super job for the Lions with that. So um, just a, uh, wanted to say what a great job they do in, in bringing back the old guys. And I, from what I hear, a much better job at it than what a lot of the teams around the league do. So thanks to Mrs. Ford and the whole, the whole mm-hmm. Lions organization. 
Yeah, well, you had a 30-year Bama reunion of your national championship season, which was almost ruined. You want to tell us about that story? You were, your, your championship ring and your Bear Bryant ring were stolen, but the police yeah. got them back for you, right? Yeah, they did. That was that was kind of a crazy story. It was I had I had my ring and uh, uh, it, it was in my office, and the office got broken into, and and of course they stole that, and um, I didn't think I'd ever see it again, and and um, got a phone call one day from the Pelham Police Department, which is just another little community over um, to our south, and uh, evidently they had raided a pawn shop and and got the ring back. So uh, actually, uh, Alabama called me, Tommy Ford with the university called me and said, hey, "Have you lost your ring?" And I was like, "Yeah, as a matter of fact, it got stolen." <laughs> So uh, I, I did get that back, and that was very important to do that because uh, it's you know obviously something I cherish. Over the See, years, did you do any coaching, serious coaching? No, I never have, never have. I, you know, I've uh, Jeremiah Castile, <clears throat> one of my teammates at Alabama, and great pro player, puts on a camp, and and I used to go up and do do that camp with him just on a voluntary basis, but uh, never have gotten into any coaching. <clears throat> That's too hard work, man. <laughs> really? Those guys work too hard. <laughs> a hours along, but doing what you guys do is the hardest work there is. I just uh, congratulations, Steve. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm you. sure you are too that your career ended prematurely due to injuries. That's what happens when you get guys your size, you know, banging against each other all the time. Can you believe the size of offensive linemen today and how much money yeah. they're making? <laughs> they're huge. Yeah, they're they're getting pretty big. And, and the amazing thing is that they still move so well. You know, I mean, it's uh. Um, I don't know if any of us could play today, but, um, you know, they, when we, when I first got there, Monty was, um, an old Shula guy. So he wanted everybody to be, you know, down around 260 pounds. So, yeah. um, and we all would, would struggle to make weight. And, and then, um, when Monty left, everybody blew up to 280 and 290, you know, but we're still not, you know, I think <laughs> Alabama's center this year was six, six, three twenty five. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And, uh, and a great player. You'll see him play, uh, every Sunday. So. Yeah. Hey, Steve, it's great to actually, well, I'm seeing you on our Zoom Thank connection. You. See you again after all these years. I always enjoyed covering you when you were with the Lions way back when, even though the teams weren't much to write home about. So continued success down there in Alabama. I'd like to wish you good luck in the national championship game, but this is Big Ten country up here. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I completely understand. And uh, no, no predictions here. And I made the best team win. Yeah, but uh, we got a Michigan guy running your football team down there in Alabama. He's a West Virginia guy. He's a job hopper. He's, he was here at listen, Michigan State he lived, for just a little while. He lived while. here and becomes a Michigander. <laughs> Steve, thank you very much. You've been great. It's been thank terrific. Thank you, guys. You have yeah, a great day. It. Thanks, get, Steve. See good luck. Steve Mott, the former Detroit Lions Center. And uh, in turn, I want to thank you guys for joining us. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, we're going to bust our asses here. And we're going to try to do what we've always done with you. We're going to try to entertain you, make you laugh, and inform you. And hopefully, Eli will come back to us at some point in the future. So we'll see you on Thursday on another edition of No Filter Sports Podcast. 